Welcome to the root of all success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs unlocked success and how their stories can help you do the same. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason has built multi-million dollar businesses that have been featured in Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur Magazine. His life's mission now is helping entrepreneurs live what he calls hashtag the exit lifestyle. Introducing TEDx speaker, mastermind leader, author, entrepreneur, cigar aficionado, motorcycle enthusiast, and host of the root of all success... The Real Jason Duncan. The Real Jason Duncan. Welcome back to another edition. This is The Real Jason Duncan. Thank you for being here. You can call me JD. I'm so happy to have you on this show today to listen to this guest. This guest is Leon Linebaugh and uh, he kind of the millionaire Mennonite. We're going to be talking about that today. It's, it's kind of an odd thing, right? I mean, I think all of us, when we see Mennonites or Amish people out in the horse and buggies, we kind of wonder. And what is that? What is that about? We got different opinions of it. Now, Leon is not not the horse and buggy type. He is uh, more modern or progressive. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But he's been very successful as an entrepreneur. He started this company that he still owns today. He started at age nineteen, almost went bankrupt uh, several years ago, and then about five or six years ago, he decided to really start making some big changes so that he could have a better culture and a better workplace. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. Now, this was his first ever appearance on a podcast. So he's a little bit nervous to get started, but he does a fantastic job of telling his story. He's such a humble guy. Great guy. If you ever get to meet him in person, he, he's really, really awesome. Um, his business is Keystone Post Frames, which we're going to talk a little bit about there. He's also got Blue Jay Garage Doors. Uh, they're a member of the National Frame Building Association, the Home Builders Association, the Better Business Bureau, and the Todd County Chamber of Commerce. And he happens to be a member of my mastermind, the Exeter Club. He's a cl- coaching client of mine, and it's been a phenomenal time getting to know him. And I'm glad to have him on the show today. So please welcome to the show, Leon Linebaugh. Hey, Leon, welcome to the show, my man. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So this is your first ever appearance on a podcast, huh? It is. First ever. <laughs> I'm nervous <laughs> well, about I'll it as gentle. well. So. I, uh, don't, no, no need to be nervous about it. Well, I am. Um, so I remember the first time I was on a show uh, is actually a lady who was here locally and she was recording an audio only like this is video and audio. We're recording this in Riverside.fm, but uh, it was at a local radio station and we recorded that show just audio only. And I guess that was probably four years ago, maybe maybe three or four years ago. And then I had her come on my show because at the time I didn't have a show. I had her come on my show later, so it was kind of good. But no, it's all good, cool. man. You've got a great story. We're going to talk about that today. So um, I know that you are a member of my mastermind group, the Exeter Club. And so we know each other. And so you're only I think, one of two or three uh, clients of mine who've been a guest on my show. So how did you get your start into entrepreneurship? You know, I think you were pretty young when you started your business. I think you were 19. So Tell everybody that story of how you got started in entrepreneurship. Yeah, so I was, uh, at the time, I was working for a construction company. And uh, I guess I'll back up a little bit. So basically, I started working for a construction company about age 17. 
and pretty quickly I was promoted to foreman and um, I was always always entrepreneur minded so I started doing a lot of the work from a managerial position and also working in the field and that just led me to, to uh, think well if, if I'm doing so much of this work on my own already working for someone else why not do it by myself why not have my own company and so I just I just stepped out and and decided okay I'm gonna start my own company and so it started out as in general construction I had no niche in mind at the moment it was just simply a way to make money and provide a living you started working um, at the ripe old age of 16 in the construction business and uh, you were running your own crew by the time you were 17. Right. So you started, you stepped out and started your own construction, general construction company at 19. Is that right? right. That's correct. And is that the company that you still own to this day or is it, do you have a different company today? It is still the same company. The, the main thing is like within a year after I started, I decided to narrow the niche down to pole barns or post frame buildings only at that time. So we slowly just transformed it into a post frame company. Did you have a, you said that you were always entrepreneurial minded. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that came from? My dad, primarily my dad, he, uh, and my grand grandfather. Uh, so one story I have on entrepreneurship is between ages of eight and 10, I raised a bunch of rabbits. So my dad helped me buy some, you know, some male and female rabbits and helped me buy the feed. And, you know, I raised these rabbits and sold them there from, from home. And that's one of the ways that, you know, I've got a taste of entrepreneurship, learning how to raise them, how to feed them, care for them. It was, it was all, all my own doing. I, like I was responsible for it all to make it happen put a sign out beside the road, get customers to come in and, you know, buy these rabbits for Easter. So that's, that's how I got started on one of my entrepreneurial type of journeys. So you were, uh, so as a young kid, you're selling these rabbits, dad's helping you figure that out. Was the motivation to do the business more about money or was it being in control or was it a combination of things or was it something else? You know, I never thought of that. Uh, I would say it was more just the enjoyment of being able to create something that I was doing more of a purpose because I enjoyed the fact of like being able to, to, um, you know, pair the male and the female up and have a litter of litter of rabbits and raising them and then selling them. And of course you reap the benefits of profit from it as well. You know, it's interesting. I, I never, I never raised animals like that. I've had pets, um, pets pretty much most of my life, but I've never raised them. So I wouldn't know what that's like. I don't think I'd have the patience to do it, but, but, but for whatever reason, you know, it interest interested you or intrigued you to continue in that mm -hmm. entrepreneurial journey. So you did that when you were pretty young. Um, so when, when you started working in the construction business at 16, was that, because, hey, I just need to go get a job or did dad force you to go get a job or, or why, why did you just go get a job if you were raising these rabbits and making money doing that? Why did you go get a job? So growing up, I grew up on a dairy farm and uh, also my later on at age 13, my dad built some chicken houses. 
So it's uh, breeder houses, like 10,000 in each house. Uh, and so I was like the only son till eight years later, I had a brother, but so I was, I, my dad and I were always working on the farm. And so it was at a very young age, I was put to be responsible for a lot of different chores and things at the farm. And so I think that created a lot of entrepreneurship minded throughout that, taking responsibility, making decisions, taking care of the farm and so forth. So you, you grew up uh, Mennonite, is yes. that right? So how much, the, I mean, I, I, I'm sure listeners don't know much about that. Um, we, you and I have talked about that at length and we can, I have a background in, in Christian ministry as a pastor back in my former life. So I know a little bit about it, but how much did being a Mennonite, growing up as a Mennonite, encourage you to get involved in farm life, construction, owning your own business? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. So in our family, anyway, I don't know that this is true with all Mennonites, but with our family um, and uncles and aunts, we were very independent minded, encouraged to do things on your own and make a living. So and I think it has a it has a factor to it because there's a there's a definitely a thread of independence taught throughout that to be independent, to uh, do something on your own. So that just the the seed of independence first from the Mennonites encouraged you guys to kind of do your own thing um, in the family. So so today, do you how how involved are you in the overall Mennonite community? Because I know that there's Mennonites and Amish are a little different, but I think that everybody thinks about Amish furniture or Amish barn, you know, the barn raising and all that kind of stuff. How similar are those, if at all? They come over the very very similar like the belief mindset is very similar um how involved am i in it not overly involved in the mennonite uh, groups or anything like that i'm a part of a mennonite church at, at this point in time and uh you know i don't look at it as a as a religion i look at it as it's a choice a chosen way of life and when you look at Mennonites and Amish, there are just numbers, I mean, just lots of different churches within those circles, and they all have their own different sets of beliefs and, and so forth. Sometimes I say it to people like this, that, that you have different types of Mennonites and Amish, just like you have a First Baptist and a Second Baptist and a Third Baptist. There's really not much difference between them, right? But they all believe sort of the same thing, but they had a slight disagreement about something. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, people on the outside looking in for at Mennonites or Amish or whatever, they 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 tend to believe, well, they're all the same. But but the reality is what you just said. Like th there's there's flavors, different variations of for that, sure. just like there are in Baptists and or, or Methodists or, or Episcopals or, you know, there's, there's a little bit different in everything. So you guys are just one flavor of the Mennonites. But, right. uh, but, but, but I think what's interesting is that your family sowed that seed of independence and that independence wanted to kind of influence you to become an entrepreneur. But what's interesting to me is that you did it in the thing that I think most people think about when they think about Mennonites or Amish is that 
it's construction, it's building things, it's working with your hands. Do you think that was, that's a natural evolution of your independence to get into, you know, to take that independence into something that the Mennonites and Amish were probably known for, which is building, or was that not related? It just, it's a happenstance. I think it derives from a work ethic that's taught from young age. So it's, it's more like, um, so as a rule of thumb, not, not a hundred percent true overall, but as a rule of thumb, Amish and Mennonites promote, uh, a family lifestyle and working together at a very young age. So when you, when you have that, they also try to look at trades that they can do at home more so, although construction is not necessarily at home, but think about it this way. If you grow up on a farm and you're building buildings on the farm, that is construction in itself. So a lot of these, these uh, Mennonites and Amish learn about construction and things like that on the farm at a young age. So therefore they become proficient in it. Uh, you know, so they, let's say I had no experience at age 16. You know, the typical Amish or Mennonite might have eight to 10 years of experience by age six, 16 because they were allowed to help with their parents and uncles and aunts and so forth in, in working on the farm. Yeah. So your preparation started early and that's just yeah. a nature, the, the nature of the family oriented work ethic. I, I would say and so. I guess that's really what, yeah. And what we, what we see, I guess, from non the non Mennonite, non Amish looking inside, we see that the work ethic is, is, is uh, pretty evident. Mm -hmm. And I know you, I guess I've known you now for, uh, I guess a little over a year and I could see that work ethic, of course, in you and what you're building there in your company. And, and, uh, I mean, how, how many, how many, how many people in your circles in the Amish slash Mennonite circles have become millionaires through entrepreneurship that, you know, I mean, is that, mm -hmm. is it a pretty small number or is it more, more, uh, is it more common than we might think? It's. I don't know if it's a, if you based it on a percentage of the average population and then just in the Mennonite circles, there probably is based on that. If you include farmers in the entrepreneurship number, there's definitely a larger percentage that have become millionaires because of that. I would say so, but there's that's also a, a large number that don't that never make it. There's a large number that are pretty lazy that I wouldn't hire either. <laughs> so there's all kinds. So don't, don't get the idea that they're any better than the typical human being out there. They're not, they're all human beings. They all have failures and struggles just like anybody else. You know what I think is funny is that, you know, if you go to the small town somewhere and you go, you go to the corner, the corner grocery or the, the gas station where all the old men hang out and they're all drinking coffee and telling tales and all that kind of stuff is those guys usually are the ones that have, you know, enough money to buy right. the town because they're, they're the farmers. They've been around a long time and people don't, people don't think yeah. about that. And, you, and so I wouldn't have thought about that in terms of what you just said in turn in the Mennonite or Amish, you know, if I, you're, you're not, you're not uh, of the, the part of the sect that doesn't do electricity and cars and all that stuff. You're 
uh, certainly more, I don't know if modern or progressive is the right word, but there are those that drive the buggies and have the horses and they don't do electricity. You wouldn't think, okay, those people are millionaires because a lot of them are. you just don't think about it. But if, but if yeah. that, so the millionaire Mennonite, right. Leon Leinbach, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty cool, man. I don't think people think about that. That's, do you think about that? Because, I mean, you are one. So do, is, does, do you have that awareness that you're, that, that that's part of your story? I don't know. I never really thought about that, honestly. No. <laughs> there's, there's, it's like, I just yeah, work hard, man. Much, keep to myself. <laughs> no, there is one factor about these farmers and so forth. And uh, especially in the Mennonite circles, if you think about it, that they have become millionaires. One of the reasons they have become wealthy is not just be, not from just farming. It's because they own land, they own real estate. And at one time or another, they bought a farm, sold the farm for capital, for a capital gain, and so forth. So a lot of them, if they admit it or not, real estate is a huge factor to them becoming wealthy. Well, I don't know what the actual statistic is, but um, I, I, I've heard I've heard of this, and I'm sure you you could corroborate this. But in the Forbes 500 of the wealthiest people on the planet, or if you just look at in the United States, whatever it happens to be, is that a significant majority of those people made their money through real estate and or business ownership. Very few made it through um, earning an income as a as an employee. Right. Uh, and some earned it or, or didn't earn it, but like some got it as an inheritance as part of the family. For sure. But uh, most are self-made and owning real estate is a big thing. So you got you got involved in the construction business early. So are you involved? Do you have real estate that you own as well? Yes, I do. Yeah, just... So tell me a little bit about your real estate and holdings, kind of where that came in and how, you know, what you're doing with it and what your intentions are. So I'm just starting out in the real estate holding uh, side of things. Right now I have a one triplex that I'm renting out. And that's, that's all I have as far as that goes besides the real estate that I own for both of my companies. Okay. But you own a lot of land too. You've got, you've got yeah. some land there. I know you and I've talked about that in the past about how to, how to use that land and leverage it for, right. for benefit. But you're, um, you know, you, you've got a lovely, lovely wife uh, we've met several times. She's been, of course, part of our Exeter Club experiences and masterminds. We do these events and retreats. And so she's been to been to all those. And she's such a such a quiet, lovely lady. And you've got six daughters, man. So you've got a lot of a lot of estrogen going on in that house, man. What's it like being the being the only the only man, the only male in your home with that many females? What's that like? Well, uh, I don't have a lot of it to compare with because I grew up with almost all sisters. My next brother was eight years younger than me. So I guess for me, it's it's like normal in a, in a sense. And I realize a lot of people, it's not normal to a lot of people. There is one thing I've recognized, though, with that. Um, like, I love spending time with my family and, and uh, with my wife and so forth. Like this past weekend, we went down to... Uh, my wife and I went down to uh, to the Opryland Resorts or Gaylord Resorts here in Nashville, and hung out for uh, our anniversary and Valentine's Day. And uh, 
but there are times that I have got to get around a group of guys. And that is, that is one reason I appreciate the mastermind. I appreciate the uh, guys that I have at work that I work with on a daily basis. It's, it's where I guess I get my, uh, get around the testosterone instead of the estrogen. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, you, you're, it's normal to you. I mean, right. that, you, you got six daughters, you got a, a lovely wife, you grew up with girls, you know, and sisters in your house. So it's normal for you, but, uh, um, I think you're, I haven't met your daughters. I haven't had that chance yet, but I see, you know, on social media, you're, you got a pretty good, strong social media presence and I see what you're doing with your family and how important it is to you. So uh, I commend you for, for being able to do that. So you've been successful, you know, at an early age in the construction business and then starting your own business, Keystone, Keystone um, uh, Post Frames. Is that, that's the actual name of the business. Is that right? Keystone Construction LLC. So Keystone Construction is the name of your business. Right. Uh, you can look him up at keystonepostframes.com. So you've been very successful with that. And then you've got the garage door company as well. Tell, tell us a little bit about just the idea of what a post frame building is. Because I know barn dominiums are all the rage right now. And you're right in the middle of that. Right. So tell us a little bit about post frame building, what that means. Because I, I don't think a lot of people understand it. They hear barn dominium, but they don't really know what that is. Sure. So the term pole barn got started back in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, these farmers, they needed cover for their equipment and so forth. So they started building barns with uh, telephone poles. And uh, so as that got more popular, uh, they started building these barns out of uh, square posts. And that's where the post frame term got put in place because then it's not poles anymore. Now it's square posts. So it's post frame. Although that term still, you know, is alive and well today, the term pole barns. And uh, so as the years progressed, the, the pole barns got used more for garages and workshops, as well as warehouses, farm buildings, uh, horse barns, and different things like that. And then here about 20 years ago, it started with barn dominiums as well. Uh, now, there's one other thing about barn dominiums. Barn dominiums can be steel frame buildings, they can be wood frame buildings, but essentially it's a barn that's turned into a home that's got metal roofing and metal siding. It's sort of the, the basics of a barn dominium. So the term pole barn, I always wondered where that came from. I mean, it made sense to me, but I, I just wanted to make sure I was clear on that. But pole barns come for using telephone poles. And actually, I see a lot of those, just the covered implement, you know, implement covers where they mm -hmm. actually use round posts that look like they they were telephone poles that just have the cover, you know, three different roof heights and they cover the implements. But now yeah. pole barns or are really post frames exactly. are just slab of concrete or just on the ground and you put posts up and then put a metal roof on top. And if you're going to put sides on it and live in it, you got to do a slab of concrete, metal sides, metal roof, right? Am, am, is that correct? That's, that is correct. That is correct. Yeah. But you can make these pole bars, these post frame homes, these barn dominiums look just like a, and I'm going to use the term normal and it, he, forgive me, I don't sure. know what else to say, but like a normal house, right? Yeah. You can make them look pretty much whatever you want to make them look like. You can make them look like a typical house out there that you can't tell that it's actually even a, a, a uh, barn dominium or, or a pole barn per se. 
Let's take a quick break to thank our amazing sponsors for making this podcast possible. As an entrepreneur, I know that you have to deal with sales on a regular basis. I mean, every entrepreneur does. And if you aren't paying attention to sales as an entrepreneur, you're not going to be an entrepreneur for very long. But I've got a sponsor of this show called Dub that helps you bring the personal back to sales. If you want to figure out how to improve content creation, improve client trust, uh, improve your sales process, decrease the sales cycle, because we all know time kills deals. If you want to increase client bookings and increase conversions, you need to take a look at Dub. There's a special offer for Dub for listeners to the Root of All Success at therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub, and that's D-U-B-B. What Dub does, I've been using this for years. I'm a huge fan, and I'm so honored that they're our uh, primary sponsor of the podcast, but they have helped over 60,000 businesses around the world communicate better, to make sales easier, to make sales more personal. And it's built, Dub is built for growing teams. I mean, you can set up video emails, you can set up custom onboarding, you can do admin reporting, uh, anything you need around video and sales and automation, Dub is there. You can try Dub now. Your conversions to sales are waiting. All you got to do is go to therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. And there you're going to get two weeks for free to try Dub. Plus, you're going to get 50% off your first two months of Dub. You can't, you can't beat that. So go check it out. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. 40 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had your business in the yellow pages. You remember those things? <laughs> and 30 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had a door-to-door salesman. 20 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had a website. And today, you're not in business unless you're doing social media content. Am I right? Social media content. Social media content in the term in the form of like micro content, which is 30 to 60 second spots on Instagram reels or TikTok or YouTube shorts. That's the way business is done. As a matter of fact, that may be how you found out about this podcast or, or me as a business coach. This medium that we're using today to communicate what we do is vitally important. And just recording yourself isn't enough. You've got to do it right. And my friends over at Story do it right. And one of the problems with doing it wrong is that you sit around thinking, well, what the heck am I going to record? How, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Like, I don't, I don't know what to talk about. Well, story takes all of that away from you. Stop wasting time trying to come up with content because story will send you a video prompt on what to record. You can pick the categories you want to record in, whether it's real estate, entrepreneurship, finance, relationship, leadership, life insurance. It could be anything. Don't waste time on that. And, and by the way, if, you, if you're not confident in talking on video or if, or if the video editing portion takes up way too much of your time, Story will edit the videos to perform well on social media. They add the subtitles, the pop-ups, the Zoom cuts. They remove all the filler words like uh and um and uh. They, they remove the awkward pauses. And then they take that video and post it for you. They write the captions, they add the relevant hashtags, and they post it on the platforms that you care about the most. It's exactly 
what you need to be in business today and to be successful at it. So if you want to learn how to do social media the way the influencers do, you need to go to therealjasonduncan.com slash story. And that story with two Y's. Why? Because they're awesome. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash story, that's S-T-O-R-Y-Y, for 10% off your first three months to try story out. You're going to thank me later. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now, back to the show. It's definitely so, a very customizable, whatever you want to do with it. So you started, when did you start building the barn dominiums as we know them today? Was that pretty early on when you started Keystone? I would say around 2010, 2011 is when I started doing the barn dominiums. And how many barn dominiums do you guys build in a typical year? Currently, I think last year we built like right around 70 of them. 70. Man, that's a lot. So how, what is the cost differential? So if somebody's looking to build a house Mm -hmm. and they think they're open to the idea of a barn dominium versus just a normal stick built home, what's the cost differential? It's about 10%. It's about 10%. And the main thing, and the main reason for that is the, the way the footers are done and the way it's uh, on a concrete slab. That's the main factor as well as metal roofing and metal siding. So anywhere from 10 to 20% is usually the cost differential. Meaning the barn dominium will be 10 to 20% cheaper than stick built. Right. What does the, does the inside of a barn? I have, I have, uh, I've known one person personally who about five or seven years ago built a, a barn dominium and it looks just like a barn from the outside. Mm-hmm. And then you go inside, it looks just like a house. But what does the inside, although he, he didn't put any flooring down, he's living on concrete. Sure. I couldn't do that. This is me. <laughs> but what does the inside of a barn dominium look like? It can, uh, it can look just like a typical home that you see, or you can keep the concrete floors bare, just like you had mentioned. Uh, you can put carpet, flooring, any kind of flooring that you want, drywall, wood finishes. So anything, any finishes options that are available out there. Interesting. Interesting. So how many barn dominiums versus just pole barns or, or sheds or garages are you building? What's the, is it one greater than the other that you're usually building? Yeah. So over the years we've built more just pole barn garages and workshops and stuff than we have barn dominiums. Last year it was probably about 40% of our builds were barn dominiums. Uh, But I'd say Average for us has been probably 30% barn dominiums and 70% like warehouses, garages, workshops, and so forth. So you're building, so if you're building 70 barn dominiums and that's only about 40%, if I'm doing my math right, you're building nearly 300 structures a year. Is that right? No, about 200. 200? Okay, so my math is wrong. Yeah, (laughs) about 200. I was trying to do that math backwards. Yeah. So what do you think, why do you think you've been so successful at this? I mean, you're killing it. I I know, I mean, obviously I'm not going to reveal anything that I know because you and I've been working together. You're one of my clients, but I know you're killing it. I mean, you're, you're doing fantastic. You're looking at at, at acquisitions. You've got this other company with the the garage door company. I mean, why do you think you have been so successful at this? What were the keys to your success? Hmm. Well, to explain that, I think we should put out there that I haven't always been successful. So when I started Keystone Construction, it was just 
it was a way of making a living, something to do. Uh, my dream at that point in time, my vision was to have two building crews, one concrete crew. I'm going to do it for five years, make good money and get out and do something else. Well, I'm still here today. So, you know, something's changed right from the dream, the initial dream and vision. So the initial dream and vision, I did make that happen within the first year or two of being in business. Uh, and so, you know, made good money, but however, it was driving me, it was just driving me crazy. Like I was going 80 hour weeks. It was nonstop work. So after a while, I was like, I'm either going to stop this or turn this into what I call a real business. Because basically at that point in time, I was simply working a job, right? The business was running me crazy, although I was making decent money. Uh, it was, if I left, it all stopped. So it was all hanging on just me going back to what you teach about being an exiter, exiting your business. So I made the decision to actually turn it into a real business. And when I did that, I sold the property where we were at, bought another property out by the highway because I wanted my warehouse and all that out there. And within the first year, we had big plans of growth and so forth. However, going into that, I didn't know how to hire people. I didn't know how to grow a business. Uh, it was definitely something that I screwed up a lot on. And through that, I about went bankrupt, not knowing how to how to operate and how to scale and grow. It was just more than I could, hand, could handle. So about five to six years ago is when we started making changes and really started growing this into a real team that can be successful. It was really challenging over those times. And so through those tough experiences has taught me and and Jim, my partner, was there at that time as well. He, uh, it taught us to, to build a, a team that cares. And, and it's more about the people than it is about the, the business. Although, you know, the business is how we provide a solution to our customers. But it's about building a good team that takes care of the clients and that takes care of each other. So what do you think caused the failure? Or the near failure. I mean, when you almost went bankrupt, what was the what was the main cause of that? It's simply from hiring people that that I didn't know how to uh, hire the right people. I hired the wrong people and did not was not able to didn't know how to uh, set them up for success. So I had a toxic work culture at the at, over that time as well. Why do you think? Um... So if you if if you're you do telling this story as a cautionary tale to listeners who don't want to get in a position where they're almost bankrupt because of a toxic work culture, what are the couple of things that you did back then that helped create that that you could say don't do this? That's a really good question. Um, one is is don't think you know it all. Like I was too arrogant. I didn't ask enough of questions. And two is, is finding good mentors and, and, and simply, um, you know, implementing what they teach you, uh, instead of just trying to do it all by yourself. 
Who was, uh, do you have a mentor or two that you can name and kind of give them credit for helping pull you out of that tailspin? Yeah, so I had, uh, in the beginning, I had uh, KP, KP, um, he was a business coach. He helped helped me a ton. And then uh, next, uh, that helped me a ton, especially with culture, was uh, Phil Watson. Uh, And then my partner, Jim. And then uh, here in the in the last three years is our core team, uh, Dustin Ixty, Justin Harris, and Dexter Byler. They those three plus my partner Jim Watson uh, have really all those people have have made a huge impact in creating the kind of culture that we want, and and that helps us hire the right people and set the teams up for success. So you say that, you know, you, you, part of the reason you almost went down in flames is that you were, had a toxic work culture. You'd hired the wrong people. You were acting like the know-it-all, the hero the of the hero. business is yeah. doing everything, but pulling you out of that was finding mentors to help lift you up. So how important is it? And what, what advice would you give to the listeners about finding a coach, finding a mentor, getting into, you know, I know you're part of my mastermind, but getting into masterminds or group, group coaching programs, how important is that in terms of financial importance, mental importance, spiritual importance to keep your business moving forward? For me personally, it's been really important. Uh, I, I would highly advise if, if anyone is out there that's struggling to go out and network, you know, and it takes time. Uh, I know for myself, I've, I've struggled with that a ton in the, um, you know, four or five years ago, I struggled trying to, trying to find mentors and so on and so forth. Cause I just didn't know how, like I had no clue how to do that. Uh, but yeah, just going out there and networking, you know, becoming a part of a, a local network of entrepreneurs, you know, you know, trying to get with some masterminds or around other entrepreneurs, ask what they're doing. It's, it's, it's definitely, uh, what has helped me tremendously. Well, me too. I, I, I look back and, and, um, I hired my first business coach, I think it was in 2017 and our, our company was growing and we were doing pretty well, but I, I was not totally satisfied with, I didn't think we were maximizing it. I didn't think we were maximizing the Mm -hmm. way we needed to. And I finally convinced my now ex business partner, my business partner at the time, that we need to hire a business coach. And when we brought that guy on, his name is BJ Howard, who has since passed away, uh, sadly. But when we hired, hired him, man, that's when everything changed. That's when I went from just being a business owner to being, um, a true entrepreneur. And so I credit him with that for significantly with that change in my life. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to ask you to, uh, to make my head big or anything like that, but, like I'm hoping that your experience in our mastermind, the Exeter Club, and the experience in a group coaching has has been has had similar benefits for you. I'll give you the opportunity to say anything. Well, I didn't. Ask. Yeah. <laughs> I know this looks like self-serving. I'm trying to get you to talk good about me, but yeah. Um, what? How, how big of an impact has that been for you? Well, we can just act like you didn't ask the question, but <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the truth is it has a huge impact on me. The the mastermind and even yourself, Jason, with the things that you bring to that and to the group, it's it's been a tremendous help. 
It has helped me grow in, in ways that I didn't expect. So it's it's been truly a, a blessing to be a part of. And I, I wouldn't want it any other way. Well, it's been a blessing to have you as a part of it. And also, like I said, your wife, Ruth Ann, it's just been, it's been such a pleasure to get to know her. I know that it was about, what, about a year ago, maybe about a year ago, last summer or something, you were, you guys were planning on coming to the retreat. And part of what we do with the Exeter Club is the wives, the spouses get to come to the retreats and to participate because we feel like it's kind of this family thing, just like you talk about families are important to you. And you, you called me and I'm like, hey, um, can we can we get together and have dinner with you and your wife first before we just go to this retreat location? And we don't know anybody. You know, my wife doesn't know any of these people. And, uh, you know, I could see it in Ruth Ann's eyes that night. She was a little tentative. She's like, I, what, what's going on here? <laughs> but by yeah. the end of the night, like we, we had a glass of wine. We just hung, hung out. It was fun. It was fun. And uh, she's been such a such a blessing to get to know her and you as well. And I know you're a great dad, you're a great husband. And you're a great entrepreneur. Um, what, as as a successful entrepreneur, what is your definition of success? I mean, if you had to boil it down to this is success for Leon Linebaugh, this is success. What what is that to you? Yeah, so that's a great question. the The uh, success for me is first is is being true to God. That's the number one for me. And then number two is is being there for my family and then of course number three for me is in business is is leaving a legacy of changing people's lives creating businesses that people can be successful in and that they can be a part of and have fun coming to work that's good so by that definition do you consider yourself to be a successful person yeah but i'm not like like to me, I, I look at it as I am successful, but I'm not achieved where I want to go. Isn't that the weird thing about <laughs> entrepreneurial success is that we can set this goal and we try to get to that goal. And then we get to that goal. It's like, okay, this is great. We get about a 15 minute rush of this is awesome. And, and we're like, what's the next thing? So I, uh, I was talking to somebody, <clears throat> I forget who it was just recently about that, about setting a goal. And, and they were, they were like, the reason I don't set goals is because you get there and it's not all that big of a deal. So I don't set goals. And I was like, well, that's dumb. Like, like you can't, you're, you're, you're allowed more than one. Right. (laughs) They're free. (laughs) You can, you can set as many goals as you want, man. Don't just not set one because you will be disappointed when you reach it. Set a goal that's achievable. Set a goal that you can get to. And then, and then when you get there, celebrate it. You have about a 15 minute, Ooh, this is awesome. And then a 15 minute deflation, like, this is all it is. Yeah. And then you want to go to the next level. So I think, what do you think about that? So my thoughts on goals are there's two types of goals. There's infinite goals and there's finite goals. And so an infinite goal to me is like this journey of life that we're on is what is, is coming back to that question. What does success mean to you? That's a, that's more of an infinite goal. It's something that we're always striving for and never really 100% attain. I think that's that's a, something that God has put within us. And so what, what I'm always thinking is like, I want to be able to leave a legacy that anyone around me can on and say, man, that's great. I, I like to be a part of that legacy or I want my legacy to be in something like that. Uh, and it inspires and motivates people to do good. 
So for me, when I look at like, okay, I might be successful, but have I really done all that I can do? That's good. That's really good. Infinite goals and finite goals. I think that everybody should roll that tape back. Go listen to that again. That's a good, that's a good social media clip for you, Leon. We're going to pull this out. You could use it on your socials. That was good. <laughs> By the way, if you're not following Leon, you need to go follow him. I'm going to spell his name because it's, it, it, it is a, it is a unique name. One that I had not heard before, but it's Linebaugh. So it's Leon Linebaugh, L-E-O-N. That's Leon. Linebaugh, L-E-I-N-B-A-C-H. L-E-I-N-B-A-C-H. If you're not following him on Instagram, go check him out. He does some really good social media posts, great video videos about purchasing homes, building homes, pole barns, post-frame homes. And he also has a garage door company. So Facebook, you can find him at Leon Linebaugh. Instagram, Leon Linebaugh. You can find him on uh, LinkedIn at Leon Linebaugh. And even on TikTok. Now, I'm not on TikTok anymore. I quit TikTok. But he's also on TikTok at Leon underscore Linebaugh. So Leon, before we finish up our show today, do you have any final like words of wisdom, advice you want to give the audience, anything you want to tell about your story of success? This is your time, whatever you want to tell, it's all yours. Wow, that's a good, uh, good question. You know, I think uh, one thing I was talking to my daughter last night about was she's she's just looking at ways that she can improve right and so that's something i think we all want is looking for ways to improve and one thing that i that we were talking about is like just doing the small things that people actually care about that's that's where you start to improve start with the small things making a difference being helpful so you don't feel helpless i think that would be my encouragement That's good. I'm writing that down. Be helpful so you don't feel helpless. That's right. That's good, folks. You should write that down. That is good. So be helpful so you don't feel helpless. That's good. Well, Leon, dude, it's an honor to know you. Um, I'm glad to call you my friend, also a client. And, um, you know, you've been a blessing to my life, been a good part of the Exeter Club. You're exactly what we're looking for. You know, I've got a big goal this year. I'm hoping to add you know, at, I want to get up to 50 members in the Exeter Club by the end of 2023. That's a lofty goal, one that's very difficult to achieve. But, you know, right. if anybody out there listening wants to join me and Leon as we're all trying to figure out how to exit the daily operations of our business and build greater businesses, then go check out the ExeterClub.com, E-X-I-T-E-R Club.com. But uh, make sure you go follow Leon. Leon's a good guy. And if you're in the, uh, if you're in the Middle Tennessee southwestern kentucky area and you want a post frame home a barn a shed if you need garage door service go look up keystonepostframes.com keystonepostframes.com and uh, they can help you out they're part of the national frame building association the home builders association the better business bureau and part of the todd county kentucky chamber of commerce so leon thanks for being on the show man it's been a great time talking to you and a good job on your first of many podcasts where you'll be the guest. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, there you have it. Another very successful entrepreneur about his journey to success. 
And if you remember what he said about his journey to success is that really faith and family are a very big part of his life, as you might imagine. And they are in mine as well. And I know a lot of the listeners to the show could also uh, say the same thing. But his definition of success is about being true to God, being being there for his family and also leaving a legacy for his employees and for his community. And and I loved his comment about knowing fi- having finite goals and infinite goals. That's really, really interesting. And to to be helpful so you don't feel helpless. Leon is a great guy and he's, you know, he wasn't always successful. You heard me ask him, hey, you know, tell me about how you became successful. He goes, well, first of all, I haven't always been successful. There's a moment at which I almost went bankrupt. And I think that's really the story for every entrepreneur, isn't it? I mean, there, I almost went bankrupt. I mean, I had 2019 was the year that I, I didn't think I was going to survive. That, that year is the worst year of my life. I had a business partner that we had a huge termination issue and that lawsuits and legal stuff kind of threatening. That was terrible. I had some family stuff going on. I had a, had a good friend of mine, best friend at the time, screwed me out of a deal that we were working on together. So 2019 was tough and it almost killed me, almost bankrupted me. But I came back and Leon did the same thing. And so maybe you're at that point. Maybe, maybe you're in your 2019 right now. Maybe you're at that point where you're facing bankruptcy. Don't fret. It's coming. It's coming. The dawn is coming. The the support is coming. And you know how you're going to get out of that? Mentors. That's what Leon did. That's what I did. You find the right mentors. They can help you out. And I'm very, very honored that Leon's a part of my mastermind. And I'm glad he said some kind things about it. Go check it out at theexeterclub.com. E-X-I-T-E-R dot Exeter. (laughs) If I can spell it. E-X-I-T-E-R club.com. Check it out. Now, that might not be the thing you're looking for, but there is somebody out there that could be a mentor for you. If you're in that tough time, you're difficult, you're facing bankruptcy, you don't know where you're going to get the next payroll, go check somebody out. You can't afford not to. That's where you're going to be. Well, make sure you tune in again next time when I talk with yet another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. Until then, I am the real Jason Duncan. And as always, Jesus is good. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Follow Jason on social media at The Real Jason Duncan. Are you an entrepreneur who feels trapped in the weeds of daily operations, not experiencing the freedom you thought you'd have as a business owner? Want to know the way out? Take Jason's free exit readiness assessment to see how close you are to getting ready to experience true freedom and success as an entrepreneur. Go to amireadytoexit.com today. That's amireadytoexit.com. See you again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.